1: Like what you input to your mind musically is the most important thing. Like the amount of time you spend studying other people, great people. Like don't just listen to um, what everyone else is listening to. Make sure you go and research like the best of the best because then you're getting the shortcuts and like the you're you're gonna your palate is gonna be you know that much better. 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 better, better, better. Yeah. Yeah. Check it
2: out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in You invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Want to walk in their shoes? Silent giants. Want to study their moves? Silent giants. Want to know what they do? Silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. ha. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at at SilentGiantsPodcast. Also, to keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, my friend Ali, producer and silent giant behind rap superstar J. Cole. This episode, Ali calls in to share how he became a producer, and J. Cole, and gives advice to up-and-coming producers. So without further ado, give a round of applause to my friend, the silent giant, Elite. All right, awesome. Uh, so, Elite, welcome to the show, my man. Uh, where are you from originally?
1: Um, Well, originally, I'm from uh, Connecticut, and, oh, I grew up in, like, Connecticut and Westchester, which is, like, outside of New York. So I went to college at, uh... SUNY Purchase, which is also in Westchester. So I spent a lot of my time, you know, growing up, like, outside of the city, um, about 45 minutes out. It was close enough that we got some of the New York culture, you know, uh, but we were still removed from it. But, you know, we would take the train Metro North up to Fordham Road and go to the record shops and, you know, get some of the culture and bring it back. But, um, yeah, so I grew up around there. So what were your
2: earliest memories of, of first falling in love with music?
1: Uh, apparently the first, the very first thing was um, the movie La Bamba. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to uh, watch the movie La Bamba about Richie Valance, the Richie Valance story, and like, memorize all the songs and that, and sing them, and um, I think my dad took notice that I was uh, so into that movie, I would like, wind it all the time, and you know, learn the songs and sing them, and um, my dad was always very supportive, and like, if he saw that I was passionate about something, he would he would he would you know nurture it. So I remember he went to the store to get to you know to the record shop to buy me a, a cassette tape because he was like, all right, well if my son likes music, let me let me get him some music that he could listen to. And um, the first tape that he bought me was Thriller because I guess in his mind he was like, well if he likes music, let me get him the best you know the biggest album ever, like so he can so he can start with that. And um, so Thriller was really the first. Cassette or album that I had, and uh, I pretty much became obsessed with Michael Jackson after that. And like, I, I think there was a good four-year period where I wouldn't listen to anything that wasn't Michael Jackson when I was a little kid, and I was just obsessed. And uh, I think it started there. Funny part is the way I got into hip hop was there was a heavy D verse on um, on the Dangerous album on the song called Jam. Yeah, and I remember I really liked it, and like I told, I asked my mom, I was like. Can you get me um can you get me a rap album? Like <laughs> I wanna have, I want that. Like whatever that is, like I want that. And I think she got me like M C Hammer or something like you know, like real commercial and I didn't like it. I did I was like I didn't <laughs> like it. Um, I think I wanted something more real. Even though I was a little kid I could feel it, you know, I could just feel it wasn't um, quite what I was looking for, but um, you know, I eventually made my way. I, I was into Crisscross Cross, though, definitely into Criss Cross because I saw them in the video, so I started getting on them. Maybe Totally Crossed Out might have been my first like, hip-hop album that I really liked as a, as a little kid, you know?
2: What were your earliest memories of making music, uh, and when did you know that you wanted to like, be an artist?
1: I guess I started late in high school, maybe my senior year, I had this... I don't know how I found this little program, but I had this computer program. I was, like, into the internet and, like, the computer. Like, I was always on... I was early on America Online and all that stuff, so I was probably just, like, searching the web and finding stuff. I was really into hip-hop in high school, so I was digging for music all the time. Um, I was kind of like the kid in high school who had, like, all, like, the underground rap stuff. I had Eminem before he was famous. I had, like, all... You know, I was up on everything. And, um... I uh, I found this program. It was called Hip Hop EJ. And it was kind of like making beats on your PlayStation where it was like all these pre-made loops that you like could put together and they kind of went to each other and you could like change the tempo or put different bass lines with, they're probably all in the same key or whatever it was. But um, it was a real like elementary way to make music. Um, and I kind of started playing with that. But then once I started doing that, I kind of was hungry to like you know oh I want to you know figure out like how do I how do I do my own stuff you know, so I would go on like message boards um, like rapmusic.com, dot com or um, there was another site um, that I used to always go on uh, Cannabis Central because I was a big cannabis fan like we were just, you know it was just all these little websites and stuff and I kind of just started like linking with people on there and like figuring out how to do it. Um, getting getting help from people and asking questions. And uh, uh, then I started using the program uh, Sony Acid. And once I got onto that, then I kind of started, you know, making my own stuff a little bit more uh, organically. I definitely wanted to rap. Like, that was a thing for a while. Um, and I think making the beats was kind of like... Uh, it was like I wanted to do both, you know? Like, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to rap and like battle rap like that was the thing at that time was battle rap. I wanted to be like cannabis like i wanted to I wanted to be Because in my high school, they would have like ciphers at the table and stuff, and like I always thought like, man, if I could rap like cannabis, I'd come and kill everybody you know like right that's like how that's how I wanted to do it, but like I wanted to also make my own beats just because I um, don't no, you know you want full create I wanted just to create, so that was where my mind was at but um. Eventually, I started, you know, I had, like, a group in college, a little rap group, and we started making beats. Um, or oh, I started making beats for them, and one of the beats that I made for us um, actually turned into uh, a song for Drag On that got that was my first placement called Fireman. How did that come about? Like, how
2: did that, that introduction into the actual music industry happen? Like, how did, how did that beat get to Drag On?
1: uh well, it's a kind of a long story, but basically um I studied abroad the summer between high school and college It's kind of like my my step my foot in to get into college. I took a course in Spain um where it was like a music composition course and um i I was basically it was it said it was music composition, but basically what we were doing it was really like a a roadie class like it, it, we were putting on shows in Spain like the whole class and like Your job was like you have to contribute somehow to the show, whether it's playing an instrument, performing, doing backline, um, lights, sound, loading gear, whatever it was that you had to contribute to the to the to the show. So that was the class. Basically, it was a really cool class, to be honest, like we were just doing gigs in Spain like every like three days or so. And um, so what I did was I was like, well, I can rap. So I'll just rap. So I was rapping out there like we had like basically we were doing like jam sessions like where like we would have like a jazz you know all these jazz musicians from the from the from the conservatory playing instruments and like me and a couple other kids like rapping they would play like instrument you know they they, we, they would like replay like dr dre beats or something and we would just like rap over them but like um you know in spain at the time it was like people were loving it and um there was this uh, one of the other people who was taking the class, uh, her name was Alima Dean, and she uh, is the sister of D and who are the CEOs of Rough Riders. And she saw me out there. She's a younger sister, by the way, um, not Siobhan, who's the older sister. But okay, um, she saw me out there, and um, we became friends, like just because we were, you know, we had similar interests and and, and music um, conversation, and like. Uh, she liked, you know, my rapping and everything, so when she saw me, she said to me, you know, she's like, oh, when we get back to the States, you know, like, my brothers have a studio, like, you know, I'll take you there, and I didn't know anything that she was Rough Riders or nothing like that, so I was just like, yeah, okay, like, sounds good, you know, like, that sounds fun, like, at the time, I had nothing really going, so I was just like, fine, you know, that sounds cool, so literally when we got back to the States, like, she took me to Yonkers and, like, I walked into the studio and, like, Swiss Beats was in there with, like, pit bulls and, like, it was, like, straight out of a movie. I I was pretty uh, culture-shocked. And, um, (laughs) she had me, like, put me on the spot, had me rap for people and, like, all kind of stuff. I went through, like, real real hip-hop boot camp out there uh, for a while and um, it was really good for me, a great experience, because I got to kind of experience the culture from the inside and, like, um i got an internship she got me an internship at, at powerhouse which was the studio in yonkers um basically i was just you know making runs and getting people food or whatever they needed and cleaning up and doing stuff um but everybody kind of knew that like i rapped and made beats and um uh, eventually um a um she started managing me basically. That was like what she was you know, the angle she wanted to manage me. So she was managing me. She played one of the beats I had made for ice pick Jackson, who was at A&R at the time. And, um, he gave it to drag on and, uh, and that was it. And then drag laid the song down and, um, uh, uh that that was the first the first of the Rough Rider days for me. Yeah,
2: well, what, what was that feeling like? Getting that first placement?
1: It was really exciting, but also confusing. And like, um, I was young. Like, I was probably like nineteen. So it was like, I I, um, I was excited, but I also didn't quite. It's scary too because you don't know anything. You know what I mean? You don't know how the business works. You don't know. You don't know why they like the song what's good about it like how to do it again like there's a lot of like confusion but also excitement um so you know it was it was fun it, it, but it's it's a it's a complicated thing you know it's like the very first step it's like an adrenaline rush like oh whoa like people like my stuff like <laughs> like maybe I'm good you know it's like a, it's a complicated feeling but it it was um it was exciting man overall honestly
2: on, on the on the point of getting to learn the business, you know, how did you navigate that? Being 19, like, what were the first steps of, like, getting the business aspect of being a music producer together?
1: Well, Alima was really good, to be honest, of, like, teaching me stuff because she was around her brothers and everything. So she had a pretty good grasp on the business side of it. Um, so she was pretty good at, like, teaching me stuff. Um, but also, like, there were other producers around... Um, Rough Riders that were like mentoring me and like giving me pointers and you know like I was learning from other people like there was a producer uh Divine who worked with Rough Riders he was always giving me you know pointers and telling me about publishing and stuff and um you know just from learning from 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 people around me really asking questions I always asked a lot of questions like I was um, whether it was from the business side or for you know like when they were mixing my song, my my songs, I would sit right next to the engineer, and like just ask questions like like what are you doing right now? What are you doing to the kick drum? What are you doing right now? Like what is that? Like you know every little thing. I was I just wanted to know. So like that's just how I was when I was young because I I knew that like I had a lot to learn. So you know that was my mentality.
2: What was your first time meeting J. Cole, and how did that relationship uh, relationship start?
1: We actually met on um on the, the cannabis website that I was talking about before at the cannabis center. We were both big fans of cannabis and like once I started doing stuff with Rough Riders, like I was posting my music and you know, talking about it and um he sent me a instant message, like on on AOL instant messenger. I think he was like fifteen years old at the time and like he was just like, Yo man, like I rap, like I'm dope. You should hear you know, you should hear me out. But all he had was like written stuff like he just had like text you know like verses and stuff so i was like that's you know it's dope man but like you know when you get a song like send me a song like if i could hear something and so um he went and recorded um the song is called the storm Honestly uh, you can find it on YouTube or whatever but it's actually the first song he ever recorded Mommy and Sean from around the way some been down from day one never been known for mistakes but was bound to make one her name was Nina see he was all about the cash flow till she came and had this man put his whip to the max show a true dime piece describing the brown eyes caramel skin thick thighs goes the y'all but besides look some eyes lost. Known for kinky cats in the corner leaving their hearts on the sidewalk Sean was one of them she and she know, got back them, to me he was like yo fire recorded a song like check it out and um his approach was always like very confident, which always like strokes uh, struck me. I was like, you know, well like this kid's confident, you know, for like not, for no kind of like reference point. I have no reference point to, to know if he's good or not, but he seems confident. And like he sent me this song, "The Storm," and I was like, you know, wow, this is amazing. So I could recognize instantly that this kid was talented. So. Um, you know we started building a relationship sending music back and forth um and uh once he came out to um he came to visit st john's because he he ended up going to school in st john's and you know i was in new york or the new york area and um he came to visit the school before he went i think we linked up at like in times square somewhere and just like had like a rap a cypher at burger king or something (laughs) like that like it was some sort of it, it was something like that um and you know, we just became friends. Like after we started hanging out and like making music together, um, you, you know, we we built our relationship, you know, through that. Once he once he once he got to St. John's, we started hanging out and working together more.
2: Uh, so, what what was the first song that uh, you guys collaborated on together?
1: Songs that will probably never be. <laughs> that oh, that yeah. we'll Ever hear songs that aren't? Uh, before he was even J. Cole, you know, it was like when he was under the name Therapist. Like we were doing some stuff, but like. Um the first song I guess that I guess that's like official like Jay Cole song Will probably be the song called Playground This is a playground but if shit got hard would you stay down would you stand up for me would you lay down would you skate down on the first grade yeah he came to um came to he was recording the warm up with me of a, a bunch of it at my house in in westchester like so he was he would come and he would have like four songs to record and like I'd record them for him and like at the end of the session, I was like, look man, like if you're gonna record all these songs like at least hop on this, hop on one of my beats or something like so he um he got on i, I played um the playground beat and like he actually did it on the spot. Like he, he, he came up with all the raps. Like, um, he didn't even write them down. Like, and he doesn't usually do that, but like for that one, like I remember it was like, well, let me just try it this way. So he just like came up with it on the spot and like, that's how that song came about. But you know, we had done stuff before, but I think that was the first one that was like him as J Cole, you know?
2: So, uh, I saw that you are the co-executive, uh, producer for your eyes only his latest album. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, goes into the title of being an executive producer and how does that impact the project?
1: That's a complicated question. Cause I think it's different for every, um, for, for every, you know, case by case. But, um, with us, I think it's just a matter of like trust. Really. It came down to like me being a second year along with Ibrahim, who is, you know, his, uh, his manager, um, it, it came down to, like, just being another ear, a set of ears that he trusted and could bounce opinions off of. And, um, you know, I did a lot of stuff as far as, like, actual production work, with editing and sequencing and arranging and all that stuff. But I think I, I kind of, on this album, took on the role of, like, his extended arm when it came to pr- production in general and just getting the album to a point, you know, where he was... know it was album ready it was from from demos into full songs and you know like picking what songs should be on the album and which ones shouldn't and um you know not that like i was picking them but it was i was i was an opinion that he was he was leaning on the role i took on with this album was helping with any and everything that needed to be done you know whether it was recording whether it was helping him get a better vocal take or um, you know, rearranging a section and just because I thought, you know, whether I produced a song or not, I wasn't really looking at it that way. I was just looking at it like, how can we make this album better, and how can I help? I wasn't even thinking of it like I'm gonna be executive producer or da, da da da. I just was around so much, and I heard so many things that I just started doing it. And like, you know, at the end of it, he gave me that title, and I, you know, I appreciated it because we put a lot of work in.
2: Well, I think I think one thing. Um from working in music but also working in the startup space, mm-hmm. uh, from working at startup companies, I really realized that music and uh, startups had this amazing parallel. Um, but I think what when I'm, when I'm learning about uh, your description of a co-executive producer, it's almost like a product manager, like mm-hmm. a person who just makes sure things are like running smoothly and they give their input and they're just helping with the flow of the project to completion. Um,
1: yeah, like I felt like like my... My job was to help him clearly realize his intentions for the project. You know what I mean? That was how I looked at it. Like, and we had a conversation where I asked him, I was like, what are your intentions for this? You know, I did that with him on Born Center too. Um, but the intentions were different on that album. On this album, the intention was to tell the story of um, this character. That changed all the decisions because when that's the sole intention um certain songs get left off even if they might be great songs it's like song like false prophets like that's probably one of the best songs he's done in like a long time but like it just didn't it wasn't part of the narrative it didn't fit the um the story so we had to you know we had to remove it so that it could be it, it could be a, a streamlined piece of art you know like that was the point and um you know, it was some tough calls, but I think at the end of the day, it um, it made a statement, and that's what we were trying to do on this one. It wasn't about like sales or or how many singles or how many big records or how many you know songs people would want to just like bump in their car, whatever it was. Like that was not a, that was not even in consideration. It was just about this narrative and um, the statement that he wanted to make with the story. You know, so we we focused on that and streamlined it to be that. Describe
2: the process of making Crooked Smile. What was that process like from beginning to end, uh, at the making of that song?
1: Uh, well, it started with a live performance that he did. You can find it on YouTube somewhere. But it was like, it was like uh, Ron was on the keys. And um, it was like an acapella, I think, where he's just playing the keys. And it was like this these chords from from the Jennifer Hudson sample that we ended up using. I think Cole had another beat with that sample in it, and Ron might have just heard it or something and just decided to play it. Um, And um, Cole did this verse, I think it was the first verse on Crooked Smile. Um... But it was just like spur of the moment thing. It wasn't planned or nothing. It was just like one of those things at the show where he's just like, oh, I'll just do this verse over this piano thing. They
2: tell me I should fix my grill because I got money now. I ain't going to sit around in front like I ain't thought about it. A perfect smile is more appealing, but it's funny how. My shit is crooked. Look at how far I'd get without it. I keep it so- just to show you kids it's real We ain't picture perfect But we worth the picture still I got smart I got rich And I got picture still And they all look like My eyebrows Thick as hell yeah. God, man, man. But you a woman I don't know how you deal With all the pressure To look and, pressing, and go out of here. I feel for you Killing yourself To find a man That'll kill for you You ain't up. Gonna-
1: hit him up about it because the content of the um of the verse i thought was so special and so important for people to hear you know and also to represent him and who he really is and what he really stands for because i think up until that time people knew cole who he was if you were a fan of his and you knew his whole catalog but as far as singles went like he didn't really have a song that was truly represent, you know, that truly represented who he really was as an artist, as far as like content. And I thought like, well, as soon as I heard that, I hit him and I was like, "Yo, that could be the song that changes people's perspective on you. Where it's like, this is who this guy really is. Like he really has something to say. He's about content, you know, like, and if we can make this into a single, um, I think that'll do a lot for you. And like, he 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 totally agreed and saw and saw it you know he came to my studio in brooklyn and like we kind of just like worked it from the ground up with the intention of okay how can we take this song and like make it a single which is you know not something we usually do but it was important um at at that at that time in his career to do you know and it was difficult because it's not easy to like sit down and like we're gonna make a single <laughs> you know, with this content and da, da, da and like make it work. Right. But um, you know, we came together, and Ron came in and helped with the you know the music and everything, and um, we brought in like percussionists and our um, party on bass, and um, man, it was a lot. It was a group effort. We pulled in all the, the you know all the all the resources we could, and 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 I think we executed it.
2: Uh, how did how did TLC uh, become a part of the project?
1: Uh. This girl, Melanie, um, had written the hook, um, and it was her singing it, and I think we had just thought, like, or he might have brought it up, like, it reminded him of a TLC song where, like, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Like, one I'm of them, pretty. Yeah, like, so, um, and I was always a huge TLC fan, so I was just happy as hell with the idea. I was like, oh, my God, that would be, like, that would be, like, a full circle for me, like, just as far as, um my life like it would be amazing you know um but i think that was his idea and he just like uh, reached out to them and they had they had so happened to be working at the time so it just kind of the timing was right
2: another song that i want to uh, inquire more about is the making of one of my favorite songs off the late off the latest album um fold and close so Hmm. how did that come about
1: Fold Clothes, uh, Cole had some drums that he had did, Those were some of them. He had a bunch of them, but that was one of them. And he sent them to Steve Lacey from the internet, the guitar player from the internet. Yeah. And, uh, Steve did. He's really dope, by the way. I'm a big fan of his. He did, um, the bass line and the guitar stuff on there. And, uh, they produced that together. And, um,. I came in and, like, added some stuff at the end, like, some of the the breakdowns and stuff, just with arrangements and, like, um, you know, little things, but, uh, and help with, like, the mix. You know, little stuff, but, like, that was really... I think, actually, when Cole... That was one of the last songs for the album that he did. And uh, it was, like he was just if it was one of those songs where he was just messing around like he was just down there having fun like singing out loud and i think he laid it down like real quick and it was like i came down i remember i was just like yo this is crazy actually like yeah fire like this should probably be on the project um so yeah and then he did another one that was kind of similar um right afterwards but it, it almost made it but it didn't quite make the cut at the last minute but he was in just a zone of just having fun and feeling good and and it kind of came out pretty organically, pretty naturally.
2: The last question that I want to ask you, what were some of the growing pains you experienced uh, as a producer? And what advice would you give uh, to aspiring producers?
1: Um, well, growing pains that I experienced was basically, for me, it was like having success early and then and not understanding why and like how. You know, because you're, you're still figuring out your craft, so to have success early can be a bit of a um, confusing thing. You know, when you're start, you can start looking for approval from others, and I think people go through that regardless. Like just looking for approval from others, as opposed to doing it because you enjoy doing it and looking for your own, for your own satisfaction. Um, but if the advice I would give to producers: number one is your intake and input, like what you input to your mind musically is the most important thing. Like the amount of time you spend studying other people, great people, like don't just listen to um, what everyone else is listening to. Make sure you go and research like the best of the best, because then you're getting the shortcuts and like the, you're, you're going to, your palate is going to be, you know, that much better. So, you know, usually the best musicians, listen to the best music, um, they have the best taste. So like, I would say that's the most important thing within the second most important thing. You just have to put in hours, man. Like you got to really spend time and, um, dedicate yourself to, to the craft. And, um, it's no shortcuts, you know, you have to, you have to practice, you have to, you have to, uh, refine your skills. And, um, you know, I'm always doing that. Like I, I never, uh, I feel like I'm doing that more, now than i ever was it was just like i'm trying to learn new things like learn instruments learn um get better at arranging get better at you know get better get better get better like that's the goal so like you know you got to put in hours to get better so there's no shortcuts there's no magic trick there's no you know um secret drum sounds that you can use that'll make your beats dope like there's no equipment or program that you can use that's gonna make your shit good like it all comes down to how much, how much time you put into it and how seriously you take it. So that's it.
2: Well, Elite, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the Silent Giants podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you've been a, a nice guy to me every single time I meet you in the street or, mm-hmm. you know, happen to be in the studio with you. So, And I wish you all the best of luck, man.
1: No problem, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother.